Let's look at Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what we see here is Paul saying, since all these things are true that he spoke about in the first 11 chapters that we uh, you know, summarized earlier, since those things are true, <clears throat> I want you, by the mercies of God, the fact that he is merciful with us, he doesn't give us what we deserve, uh, by the mercies of God, and since you've been saved and since you have the opportunity to do these things, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, they would take a sacrifice, not a human, but a sacrifice, and they would offer it to God. It was their act of worship. It was an offering. And in the New Testament, where is the temple of God? It's us, our bodies. We are Our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which just means... Uh, the New Testament says that when we are saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And whatever that means. Obviously, the Holy Spirit um, is a spirit. It's, it's spiritual. It's not physical. There's not some physical transformation inside of us. It's a spiritual transformation. Um, but Paul is asking us, those of us who are saved, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. That means that we continue to live... We're still breathing. We're still alive, even though we've died to our sin and we're, we've become Christians, as we saw represented by baptism this morning. When Michael went under that water, it was symbolic of the fact that he has said he is following Jesus. And God has saved him. So he has died. That's him going under the water. It's symbolic of going being buried. He has died to his old self. And when he came out of the water, it symbolizes that he is a new creature. He, that he is now following Jesus and that God has done something spiritually new inside of him. And so we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay? Most sacrifices in the old system, um, they, they weren't living. You didn't present a living sacrifice. You presented a sacrifice to God, uh, and when that, when that sacrifice was over, that animal was dead. But we, our bodies are still alive. And so we are a living sacrifice. And so he's telling them to present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So we're to live our lives in this way that honors God, that pleases God. And a lot of us, we become Christians, and we're aware of the things that God has forgiven us for. All the things that we've done in our past, all the things that we're ashamed of. Um, we are aware that when we become Christians, God has wiped those things away. He has forgiven us of our sins. Now, the truth is, is that the consequences of those sins, the earthly consequences, don't go away. Okay? I did some things before I became a Christian, and those things had consequences here on earth. And those consequences did not automatically go away just because I became a Christian. And so what we have to remember is that when we're presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, that we're striving, we know that our past is forgiving, forgiven, but we're going to strive to live lives that are honoring God, that are holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So if, if we want to sacrifice something to God, you know what we sacrifice? Ourselves in, a, in spiritual terms. We present ourselves and we say, here I am, God. Here we are, God, and we're yours. Do with us whatever you will, whatever you desire. What purpose that you have for me, I want to live in that. And so that becomes complicated 
Because we have our own dreams. We have our own desires. We have the things that we want to do. And, and sometimes they don't match up with what God wants. And so what we have to do is we have to say, okay, God, here I am. And I'm putting my desires and all of that on the back burner. Whatever you want is taking priority. I'm, I'm going to present myself as a living sacrifice to do what you desire. And so that's our act of spiritual worship. Is we say, here we are. We're yours. We offer him ourselves. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We don't need to be conformed to this world. Okay, so when we're saved, when we're his, we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices and say, here I am, God, do with me whatever we will. But you know what a lot of us do? We say to the world, here I am, do with me whatever you will. And a lot of times... That ends in our pain. That ends in our suffering. And we try to find our pleasure. We try to find our purpose through things that don't match up with what God desires. And so we end up looking for joy in places that actually maybe they give us temporary joy. Maybe they give us this temporary happiness that fulfills us for a time. But when that's over, there's emptiness and pain and hurt. And we don't need to be conformed to the world. We don't need to do things the world's way. We need to do things God's way. We need to present our bodies as living sacrifices. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Get in his word. Learn about him. Learn about God. Think about God. Focus on God. And let him transform. That, you know... The reason that we meditate as Christians, and this isn't like Eastern meditation, where, you, where Eastern meditation you would sit and you would empty your mind of everything, right? In Christian meditation, you fill your mind with thoughts of God and with truth, and you meditate, you think on those true things. And if that's powerful. But in meditation, it has to be moved from our mind to our spirit, to our soul, to our heart. You know, a lot of times, people know what's right But they don't live it. There's not a passion to live it out, a desire to live it out, uh, or an obedience um, of sacrifice. And so, we do not need to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's probably a lot of us in this room right now that says, well, I want to do what God wants. I want to do His will. Whatever that might be. And a lot of us are are confused. We don't know what he wants. We don't know what God desires with our life. Because a lot of us feel like if we could just, if God would just show us what he wants from us, then we would just do it. And I believe that there's a, a good, true sentiment behind that. But at the same time, God has shown us. But we have to start small. We have to start with small acts of obedience. And as we're faithful with a little, he will provide more and more. He will reveal more and more. You know, we have so much knowledge of the Bible. I bet everyone in this room, no matter how much or how little you've been to church, you know some truth in the Bible that you fail to live out. So what I'm saying, and don't feel, I mean, I'm not saying beat yourself up about that. One thing that we could take from that is that we're all sinners. That we all fail. But what we need to do is strive to, to obey what we do know. 
to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and say, here we are, God. What I know about you, I'm going to be obedient to that. And I promise that if you will begin to be obedient now with what you already know, then God will reveal more of himself to you, more knowledge about him to you, more of his spirit in your life, more of the power of his spirit. Those things will become more aware, more apparent, and you will be transformed into his image by the renewal of your mind. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So if you're being transformed, then you're going to know what the right thing to do is. There are things that I deal with on a daily basis now that I know the answer to what I'm supposed to do in those situations because I've experienced them. I know his word now. But when I was 20 and I had just become a Christian a couple of years earlier, a few years earlier, um, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what to do. And so we shouldn't focus on what we don't know necessarily. We should focus on what we do know, obey that, meditate on him, think of him, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and then we will know what to do in the future. And we will know what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay. Paul is saying, look, by the grace given to me as a sinner, but God has given me grace, uh, here's what I want from you. I don't want you to think more of yourself than you should. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, to think. And so, for those of us in this room, I know that some of us, uh, there are plenty of us in this room who struggle with a low self-esteem, a low self-worth. And so, that is something that we should fight against in itself. But then there are others of us in this room who think more highly than ourselves, than we ought. And we have to fight against that too. And I'm just going to admit that I'm guilty of that. Um, uh, most of the time when I get upset, it's because I'm upset about the way I was treated or about how this was done and how it affected my life. And it's about me and me and me. And I feel like I don't say this and I, and I don't knowingly feel this, but I act like the world revolves around me. And I see this all the time in my own life, in the life of our church. We just have to be careful not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Because when we start thinking that everything revolves around us, then we don't... First of all, there can't be unity. And the reason there can't be unity is because we're always upset with other people about what they haven't done for us or about how they treated us because it's all about us. And when we're selfish, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, then we demand things. We demand that other people get in line with what we think or what we feel. And again, I am guilty of this. I am not saying these things 
to say, I can't believe this church and what you do or our guests today and what, how you live your life. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying it like this. Here's the word of God. It's a mirror for us to look into. And when we see something that doesn't look good, when we're disobeying something and that's ugly to us, then we need to change it. And I look at this and I know that there are changes that need to be made in my life where I need to be more selfless, where I need to put others before myself, and I need to not think of myself more highly than I ought to think. And so, where are you in here this morning? Especially when it comes in regards to the church. Because this is, a, this is what this chapter is about. Even though we've talked about do not be conformed, but be transformed, and we're thinking about it for ourselves, Paul is writing to a church Paul is writing to a group of believers, not just one believer. And we're about to see that this whole chapter is going to be about the church, but not just the church, but how individuals within the church should react. And so in the church, if you're not a part of our church, then whatever church you go to. If you're not a part of any church, then we would love to see you back here next Sunday and uh, let us know how we can serve you. But how can we as a church... Be more selfless and put each other first and put the, you know, God first. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, here's that one body again, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so here's what he's saying. The body doesn't exist to serve the parts. The parts serve some sort of function within the body. Okay? My whole body doesn't exist just so I can curl my index finger. Right? My index finger exists to serve my needs, my body's needs, okay? In the same way, none of us in this room, none of us, the church does not exist to serve us as the primary function. But we exist to serve God and his church, okay? You you think about um, what President Kennedy said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what? Yeah, what you can do for your country. Okay? So in the same way, before President Kennedy said it, biblically, we see that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We're not to ask ourselves, now, what can this church do to serve me? And maybe some of us in here have switched churches because of... We didn't like what that church had to offer us. And sometimes that is a legitimate response. We need to find another body of believers to worship with. But sometimes it's just a habit where we go from one church to the next church because we're always looking for what the church can do for us. And that's not what church is about. Church is about what we can do for the greater body. And then what this greater body can Yes, how it can impact pour back into the lives of its members, but how it, ultimately how it can honor God, glorify God, and reach the world for him, and serve the world for him, and love the world for him, and be like him to this world. And so we have to be careful 
Because at, at some point, all of us in this room have probably fallen guilty to asking, what does this church do for me? But it's not about that. I have been so frustrated within churches before. I, there, I can remember one time specifically about 10 years ago where I was to the point where I was done with ministry. Like I had already made up my mind. I'm done with ministry and I can do more ministry outside of the church than I can do in the church. I'm sure some of you have probably felt that way before. And I remember calling a couple of my friends and I called Michael Pettit. Some of y'all know Michael. He preached here one time. I called Michael and I was just like, dude, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And he was just like, that is so stupid. Sorry if that's a bad word to some of you. But I needed to hear that at that moment. And I needed him to hear persevere. And I needed for me to hear from him persevere. And I needed to hear it's not about you. It's about the church. I needed to hear those things. And here is Paul telling us this morning, it's not about you. It's about the church. Is the church sick? Is that your problem? That you see that there are flaws in the church? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I I bet if I asked you to raise your hand, if you see flaws in our church, a majority of you in this room would raise your hand. If we're honest and we know enough, I'm, I'm not asking if the church is flawed. I know the church is flawed, but if everybody who sees flaws makes those flaws about how he or she feels, then We're just serving ourselves. We're not serving God and we're not serving the church. And so we have to take a step back and say, God, please fix this because I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like the way I feel when I go to church. I don't like the way that this church is doing things. But it's not about what I like or what I feel. It's about you and your glory. And this is your bride. And as much as I care for her, I know you care more about her. And so, God, fix your bride, fix your church, and help me to be faithful and to serve how I need to serve. We don't need to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so, not only should we serve each other, But we need to realize this truth. If we are a part of the body and we are unhealthy, does does it affect the body when a kidney shuts down? Yes. I have an uncle who just recently had a liver transplant. And if he wouldn't have gotten that transplant within a certain number of months, he was going to die. But that's just one part of the body. Can it do that much damage? Absolutely. Why? Because we're members one of another. We affect each other. And so if we want to be an effective church, we need to realize first that it's not about us. It's about the body. But we also need to realize the hurt and the pain that we've caused. And when we have caused hurt and pain... We need to repent. We need to try to make it right. Because we are not only affecting ourselves, we are affecting each other. 
And now watch me like a pinball machine just go everywhere. Because I just said that we need to make it about the church. And then we need to forgive those who have hurt us. But now I'm going to talk to those of you who have been hurt. Because most of you have been hurt in a church. Whether it was this one or another one. For those of you who have been hurt. If you are a true follower of Jesus. You cannot make it about yourself. You can go to God and you can say, God, this hurts. God, I'm in pain. You should expect your fellow church members to have empathy, have compassion. Those are things that the church should do and you should expect those things. But when they don't happen, we have to realize that we can't let other people's obedience affect our obedience. And so we still have to remain faithful. And we have to realize that we have to do everything we can for the health of the church to help build up the body of Christ, as we talked about last week. And we have to remember that we all, even though different, even though we each have our own part, we serve a greater purpose. We're members of one another. And so, when one of us hurts, all of us should hurt. When one of us rejoices, all of us should rejoice. And we're going to see this as we keep reading. Verse 6. Remember, even though we're individuals, we serve a greater purpose. Having gifts, individually, that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. So if we have gifts, we should use those for the greater good. Let's see. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So he just starts naming these gifts that different people in the church might have. And he says, if you have that gift, then use it. Use it to the glory of God. Use it to the good of the church. Because if each member is not doing what it is designed to do, what it exi- the purpose for which it exists, if we're not doing those things, then the body is not going to function as it should. And so what is your gift? Maybe you don't know. Or maybe you read one of these like, oh, teaching. That's my gift. I can teach. Or serving. I can serve. And as a body, we need to figure out what our gifts are so that, yes, so that we can find joy. Because we're going to be, we're going to have the most joy when we're doing what God has designed us to do. But also so that we can create more joy for others. Because if we're living out our part within the body of believers, to which God has called us, then we're going to give more joy to the people around us if we're doing what God has called us to do. How many of you, don't have to raise your hand, this is rhetorical, but how many of you have ever had a teacher that, that was just terrible? Some of you are, are looking at me right now. Hold up. <laughs> just watch your eyes. Um, but when someone's not gifted in a certain area and they're trying to do these things, then sometimes it's necessary because the other parts won't do what they're created to do. But other times, um, it's just a selfish thing. They, they want to have their hand in everything. They want to control everything. And, and so you have to be careful and find out where you fall. And then other times when people use that gift, like Terry teaching our men's class, Carol teaching the women's class on Wednesday nights, and you're utilizing those gifts, and, and you enjoy it, but the people in the room enjoy it, When you're working with children and you love children and and they love you because you love them and you have a gift in that area, then it's powerful. And so we need to find how we're gifted. And I need to transition. So 
in whatever your gift is, we need to exercise it. And if you don't know what your ex- what your gift is, then present your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the re- renewal of your mind so that by testing you can know what the will of God is. And so we go back to the beginning if we don't understand these last few verses of what is my role. Well, start with obeying what you know right now. And try to, to learn more about God and His Word so that you can live for Him. And as you're living for Him, your gift will come out. As you're serving Him, your gift will come out. One of the reasons that I would like for our church to pursue small groups is because in small groups, you have a lot of different leaders. And you have different leaders who have different purposes. And let's say that um, I am meeting with those leaders each week. And I'm asking them how they're doing and how their lives are going and how the, their small groups are going. And then in their small groups, those leaders, husbands and wives or whatever the case might be, those leaders are facilitating. They're making sure that, uh, okay, we have someone to host the small group. We're making sure. So if your gift is hospitality, then you might want to be a host. And you can use that gift. And you can give people joy by having them in your home. If your gift is leadership, then lead with zeal. Be a leader of a small group and use your leadership skills to check in on those members in your small group and to, to see if they're living for God, to see if they're struggling, to see if there's something to mourn with them about. And so I'm following up with the leaders and the leaders are following up with their members and the members are reaching new members and then they become leaders and they're following up and it might be hospitality, it might be leadership, it might be teaching. Who knows how you're using your gift, but I believe... That we have a structure in place right now where we're asking people, fit into this system. Do this. These are the jobs we have available. Do these jobs. And there is a need for that in some areas. Okay? If we don't pay our bills as a church, we might be in trouble. Okay? There's a need for that structure. There's a need for order. We, we have to have those roles filled. But we also need to present opportunities for people to use spiritual gifts that don't fit into this current structure that we have. And so whatever your gift is, use it. Uh, next week, we're going to have small group training. And after our small group training, we'll decide uh, if or when to proceed with small groups. But I encourage everyone, whether you uh, are excited about small groups or hesitant about small groups, I encourage everyone to come to that next Sunday. It'll be from 4 to 7.30, which is a a long afternoon, but we're going to feed you pizza. Pizza always makes things better. If you don't like pizza, feel free to bring a Lunchable or something. Um, But we do need you to sign up so that we can know how many to feed. Uh, There's a link on our Facebook page. If you go down a few scrolls, I'll I'll try to post that again this afternoon. But there's also two physical sign-up lists here at the church, one in the foyer and one on the bulletin board. And so make sure you sign up for small group training next week. But we need to use our gifts according to the mercy, uh, according to the grace that God has given us and the gifts that he has given us. Now, what we're going to do for the rest of these few minutes that we have together is verses 9 through 21. There's not going to be a lot of commentary, but I want us to read these together and look at these together because these are the marks, the marks of a true Christian. So if we're to be living out our lives for, the, for God's glory and within the structure of his church, if we're to be doing that and serving God the way he has called us to serve, if we're to be using our gifts the way he has gifted us and the way he's called us to use them, 
then these are also things that if we don't have these, then we're not being the Christians that God has called us to be. Because throughout Scripture, all these things that are mentioned here are mentioned several times, not just in this one place, but over and over again. Except for maybe one or two phrases that are um, unique to this passage, and I'll, I'll discuss those. But are you a true Christian? Are you a part of the body of Christ? Then let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Let love be real. Don't just say you love, but prove you love with your actions, with the way you live your life. And if there is something that is evil, that causes destruction, that is just wrong, then hate that with all of your being. Don't hate the people that are perpetrating those things, that are doing those things, but hate evil. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Next week, we're going to look at all these passages in the Bible that, well, we won't look at all of them, but we'll talk about them, um, that say one another, love one another, serve one another, all these one another passages. And here's one again this week. We saw one last week. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another, there's another one, in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. When I was a young Christian, I was slothful in zeal. I was so excited about God, and I would push God on people who had no interest in me pushing it on them, and I would just make them matter and be, offend them more. And look, sometimes you got to offend people, but this was not on them. This was on me because I was being slothful with zeal. I did not understand how to use my zeal for positive things and positive influences, positive outcomes. I was just right, and I knew I was right, and I was going to let everybody around me know I was right, and that's being slothful with zeal. So when you see some of these phrases that you don't understand, feel free to ask me about them later or um, search a commentary or something like that. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I mean, we could just take one of these verses and preach a sermon on it. Are we doing these things? Are, are we rejoicing in hope? Are we being patient in tribulation? Are we constantly praying? Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So a few things. Let me say this. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. These things, even if we're not gifted in them, we're to still obey God by doing them. It's just that we might not be doing them to the extent that people who are gifted in them do it. We are all called to make disciples. Every single one of us. By the Great Commission, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We're all called to make disciples throughout Scripture. But some people are more gifted in making disciples than others. That's okay. They're going to use that gift and to a greater extent probably than you or I would. Okay, Or someone who's gifted in hospitality. They're going to use that gift, or they should be using that gift, to a greater extent than the normal person would. But that doesn't mean that we aren't all called to obey those things. So we're to bless those who persecute you. For the rest of these verses, it's really going to be about this. If someone has wronged you, most of us have been wronged. If someone has wronged you, whether they're in the church or outside the church... This is what we need to remember. Bless those who persecute you. Bless 
and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. There's another one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. All right, so I'm going to pause here. And we don't have time for me to break down every single verse. But one of the things that I want to make clear is live in harmony with one another. How can we do that? First, if we're divisive. But second, if we're not with one another. If we're not in church. Then how can we live with harmony with one another? He's writing this to the church. If we're not in church. And so there's a need. And we'll talk about that next week. But um, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So don't choose your friends on how much wealth they have or how much education they have or how much white pigment they have in their skin. Choose your friends because they're the people around you and because God has blessed you with the ability to have a relationship with them. Don't be a person who says, I'm only going to hang out with this person or that person. Hang out with people. You know, I, I find it interesting that churches are very quick to judge addicts. But then they alienate them. They, they're over here hiding while the addicts are out here struggling. No, it's our job to go be with those addicts. It's our job to go be with those people. We're not to, we're to associate with anybody. As long as it's not pulling us down into sin. Here's that pause because I forgot where I was. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, this is the second time, right? Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Never be wise in your own sight. That means you need to be careful and you need to be humble. You need to realize that you don't know it all. We need to realize that we don't have it all together either. We all have sins that we struggle with. We all have flaws in our theology, our thinking, the way we live our life. And we not we. We don't need to be wise in our own sight. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. So if someone wronged you, well, welcome to the club. We've all been wronged. We can mourn about that together if we share those things with each other. Then we can mourn about that together. But what we don't need to do is repay evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You can't affect how other people treat you but you can be honorable at all times. You can, do, you can choose to do the right thing, even if other people don't choose to do that. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes you don't have that option. Sometimes people wage war on you, and peace is not an option. But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And for those who wage war, we'll talk about that in a second. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Don't get even. Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. First of all, God is the only one who can judge perfectly. He knows everything that's going on. How many of you want to be judged harshly for when you had a bad day and you acted in a way that was inappropriate? We, we don't want people to judge us for our bad days. We, and there were times in our life, and maybe we're still there, where we were spiritually immature and we didn't know any better. 
We didn't know how to act. And God is not going to make excuses for us, but he's going to judge us perfectly. He's going to judge us right. And we don't have the ability to, to always judge people the way they need to be judged. And, of course, there are different ways to judge. Some ways to judge are good that we've talked about a few weeks ago when we, we looked at how we misplace Scripture sometimes in Matthew 6. And we're called to judge people. We're just called to do it in the right way. But when you're talking about vengeance, when you're talking about repaying people, we need to be careful about judging. So, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's in God's hands. To the contrary, so don't judge, but to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So how are we to treat our enemies? With love. With kindness. With the way, same way we're to treat our friends. And you might think that this doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense. But we were once enemies of God and how did he treat us? He sent his son to die for us. He treated us with kindness. Romans chapter 2, earlier in this book, it says, It is your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. If we are kind to people, then look at what happens. For by doing so, by giving them food, giving them drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, maybe this is coals of judgment, but that's God judging, not us judging. But And, and there were... Two trains of thought along this line. And here's what one was that burning coals said that God was going to judge them and do it appropriately. That fits into the context of this. The other train of thought was your kindness, just as God's kindness led us to repentance, your kindness might lead them to repentance. And I say might because there are no guarantees. You can be kind to some people who are hateful and they will continue to be hateful and they will use your kindness against you. But that doesn't mean that we stop being kind. We have been called to never repay vengeance with vengeance. We have been called to be kind even to our enemies. And there should be no one in this room who is your enemy. We are of one body. We are one church. And one member can't say to the other, I don't need you. We need each other. And we need to work these things out. We need to make sure that we're all using our gifts. We None of us can say the church doesn't need me. If you are a member of this church, the church needs you. Biblically, the church needs you. If a, if a part of the body stops functioning, that is bad. Just like my uncle's liver. Who knows how it will affect the whole body. The church needs you. We, we all need to be obedient to Christ and doing what he has called us to do. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We all need to do what is right, regardless of how we are being treated. Now, this is one sermon that fits into several sermons. And, and we're about at the halfway mark, maybe, uh, in, in this series on the church. And today... What I want you to know is that we exist to serve God. And we exist within the church to serve the body. And hopefully when things are working well, we build ourselves up in love. According to last week's sermon. We build ourselves up in love. So when we're all playing our part, then it's going to be a great thing to be a part of a church like that. 
and we're going to be honored and, and God's going to do great things. But when we're not doing our part, when we're not all doing our part, that gives that does not give us the excuse to stop doing our part just because someone else stopped doing their part. And when someone treats us wrong, it doesn't give us the excuse to treat them wrong back. Here's the thing. If someone treats you wrong and you respond inappropriately, then you have gone against what God's word says. Plain and simple. You have become a sinner in that scenario. And so what we have to do is realize that we need each other. And realize that when we have hurt people, we owe them an apology. And if you don't know that you've been hurt, you can't apologize. So, if someone has hurt you, maybe you need to go to them in love, seeking reconciliation, not to fight it out or hash it out in a negative way, but go to someone and tell them how they have hurt you so that they can repent, so that they can say they're sorry. But remember, a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, going back to Matthew chapter 6, that we need to be careful when we approach people with how they have sinned against us. If we have a plank in our eye, if we have all this sin in our life that we're not dealing with, then we need to be careful about worrying about what other people are doing. So let's deal with our sin and in love approach each other about sins. So where are you this morning? Maybe as I was reading this, as you were reading it, as we were studying it together, as the passage was being taught, you realized that you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind.